to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to COVID, business continuity, well-being, emergency management, crisis management, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can reach out and find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there, so I'm really easy to find and I do respond to everything I get. Alternatively, if you want, you can go to alexfullick.com and you can reach me that way. It is that time again. I think this will be our 23rd episode, something like that, um, talking about COVID and everything relatable to it. So I wanna welcome back to the show for January, yeah, we're January. Yeah, January 2022, Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Oh, Alex, it's been so long. You know, I think we must have did our last gig in early December because it seems like, oh my gosh, it's been months since I spoke to you, even though I know that's not true. Uh, well, we've had Christmas and holidays and uh, you've had and your Omicron and treat Omicron. Yes, which um, luckily uh, or unluckily for me, uh, was discovered on my birthday, November 8th, but <laughs> we've had so much happen since then, you know, uh, yeah. so uh, so I know there's lots for us to uh, touch on today, but how are you doing otherwise? Um, so far, so good, knock on wood. I have not uh, gotten uh, Omicron or any of the other variants, but boy, everybody around me in a highly vaccinated city um, 85% of our population is vaccinated, and that includes all ages, which means that's counting kids that can't even be vaccinated, and yet we still have widespread illness. So, Yeah, we, we've been experiencing the same thing here um, in the greater Toronto area, and I'm just outside of it, but uh, we, we've had the same thing. We had uh, tens of thousands of cases reported you know, in one day at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'll go through some of the uh, latest stats, uh, you know, in a few moments, but yeah, we were in the same thing. It just kind of exploded. Mm-hmm. There, there really is no other word for it. It just exploded right. and everyone got it. And as I mentioned before we started recording, um, I'm not sure, but I think I even caught something myself and you can probably still hear just a little bit. Yeah, a little frog in your throat. Yeah, yeah. a little frog in my throat, a little bit stuffiness. I feel completely fine. I didn't experience um, 90% of the uh, symptoms of uh, COVID or Omicron, Um, just a a seasonal cold, you know, a a nagging cold. And um, that was it. I wasn't even sneezing. But, and that uh, could have been what you had, too, right? I mean, Yeah, it could, it could have been. Um, right. I did, uh, for everyone who's listening, I did isolate at home anyway, just in case, <laughs> because you know, I wasn't going to take any chances. Right. Luckily, I'd gone grocery shopping uh, beforehand, so the house was full, didn't have to worry, uh, stayed home. And, um, you know, that was a couple of weeks ago, and I, I feel fine, except for the little stuffiness that keeps happening. But that's mm-hmm. the weather at this time of year. So Yeah, yeah. So. 
And uh, as well, I mentioned, my neighbor uh, has um, tested positive for COVID and my dog walker uh, mm -hmm. tested positive for COVID uh, recently. So hopefully they, they are feeling better in the next couple of days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we have lots to talk about. So as usual, I'd mm -hmm. like to start with maybe a deck of slides, if you don't mind. Sure. That would just be helpful for us to be sort of organized. And uh, the really, I think what I wanted our theme to be about today is really about the issue of are we at a crossroads? And I think you and I were speaking before we began recording that indeed many uh, talking heads are saying, oh, you know, at least here in the United States, this is going to make this an endemic disease and we're probably, you know, you know, home free. And uh, of course, I'm going to be the one that says that's not the case. But I think a lot of people do feel like we're at the crossroads. And frankly, uh, you know, we're approaching the second anniversary of when it became knowledgeable to most people. And I don't know about you, Alex, but some days I'm just exhausted <laughs> yeah, yeah, as yeah. we as we drone on. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't want to hear about COVID. You know, some days it's like enough, just enough. <laughs> I totally agree. So as we always do, I want to just start with where we are right now. And I'm going to talk about the um, the U.S. and the world. And you're going to cover Canada uh, you know, where we are right now here in the United States, this is the map of the United States today. And of course, as you probably would guess by looking at it, the darker the color, the more cases one has. And as you can see, pretty much the entire United States is lit up completely, with the exception of Maine, who actually had a significant Delta surge, which probably also had some Omicron in it towards the end of last year, which just created huge issues in Maine, your neighbor, uh, mm -hmm. one of your close neighbors. And uh, consequently, they are still in recovery from that. And they're actually the only part of the United States that's actually doing pretty well. Here is our uh, 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 mapping as of today. So today is January 24th. Our cases are dropping exponentially just as they rose exponentially. And you can see that graph, it's pretty humbling. Our tests are still going up and down. Uh, but our hospitalizations are still very high. We're at 156,000, the highest we've ever had hospitalized in the United States. And now some of those people, probably about 20% of them, were actually admitted to the hospital for something else. And they actually found they had COVID. So maybe they were going in for a surgery or maybe they'd been in a car accident or they'd had a heart attack. And when they were admitted, of course, they test everyone and they were actually positive for COVID. Um, but... Uh, they may not be having COVID-related symptoms, let's say, but having a COVID patient then puts them into a whole other realm of issues, such as isolation and more uh, staffing requirements, more PPE and all of that. So it makes it much more difficult for the hospital, even if the person that's in the hospital is not actually there because of COVID. So it's still an issue. And then our deaths are still going up. Um, we almost hit 4,000 deaths on Friday. And so, and that's, you know, in a day. Um, and now deaths are a real significant lagging indicator and many states uh, are often days, if not weeks when before they report them. So that kind of dribs and drabs. So we can expect our death toll probably to remain high for the next 30 days, even as cases are dropping significantly. And at some point hospitalizations will begin to decline. So that's kind of where we are. Um, and speaking of hospitalizations, this particular map shows you 
where uh, a lot of that's going on. So in my state, for example, <clears throat> we have lots of uh, cases in California. We have lots of people in the hospital, but by compared to many other parts of the country, we are uh, you know, kind of minor in many ways, even though we're the largest state with 44 million people. And so as you can see, a good part of the more unvaccinated states are really suffering from a lot of hospitalizations here in the U.S. And if you're not listening to this on the radio, you're not going to be able to see this map, but you can see places such as Florida and Texas and New Mexico and many other states in the South. So Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, et cetera, all having a significant amount of hospitalizations which then makes you ask the question, well, okay, so what's happening with vaccinated versus unvaccinated people? And this particular slide, the top part of it actually shows you the daily cases between the unvaccinated and the fully vaccinated. And as you can see on this particular graph, it shows you that fully vaccinated people, which means they are not boosted, fully vaccinated still uh, by the definition of the CDC is two doses. They're really kicking up there, right? Where they're having more and more mm. breakthrough cases. Uh, but the unvaccinated are still substantially higher, about 20 times higher uh, than the um, fully vaccinated folks. And the death rate is substantial. So it's about you're about 20 times more likely to die if you're unvaccinated compared to those that are fully vaccinated. As you can see on this graph, the fully vaccinated people that are have, have actually died, it's a really small number. And the things that they have in common are that they're generally older over the age of 70 and they have a variety of comorbidities. And that also really speaks to the hospitalizations. So if you look at the bottom part of the slide, you'll see that hospitalizations are starting to tick down, but they're most prevalent in individuals who are over 70. And they're also um, the next age group, which is between uh, 50 and 60, 60 and 70. Those age groups are having more hospitalizations. And we're having more kids. Are you having more kids actually being hospitalized in Canada? Do you know? Um, I'm not seeing uh, a big number of kids because one of my updates, I'll tell you, the five and uh, five years old and up, Mm -hmm. There's a high percentage of them that are getting vaccinated. Right. You're doing much, much, much better than we are. Our vaccination status for that age group between five and 11 is about 20 percent, which is awful. Yeah, we're much, much higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. You're very fortunate. That, that, the, if you go back that slide uh, to yeah. the slide here, um, you mentioned the you know, 70 year olds, 60, 70 year olds yep. uh, being um, the most impacted right now. Mm -hmm. it, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't that the way the first wave went yes. with the pandemic as well? Yeah. It's that age yeah. group? Yep. And part of that is that um, certainly the older you are, it's more likely that you have more comorbidities, right? Secondarily, in older people, there's something called immunosenescence, which means that your immune system isn't quite as perky, as reactive, as it is for a younger person. So even if you've had two doses, or even maybe in some cases, three, uh, if you're older, the combination of the comorbidities that you may have, as well as the fact that your immune system does not snap up like somebody who's younger makes a huge difference. Mm, okay. So uh, as you get older, it becomes more of a challenge and not just for uh, COVID. 
uh, any other infectious disease presents the similar problem, like the flu, for example. Here in the United States, we have a lot more kids who are being hospitalized, and certainly a lot of that's because we just have so many infections. Uh, kids that are under, you know, between zero and four, there's no vaccine yet for them. And so there's really been a big uptick in those kids uh, being hospitalized. And also the kids that are five to 17, which again, as I mentioned, we're just having a really poor number of kids being vaccinated. In the, in the age group from five to 11, I think it's 20%. And I think in the age group from 12 to 17, it's somewhere around 50, but it, you know, it should be much higher. Uh, Omicron, which of course is our uh, new variant and the one that's really taking over the world, as you can see, this is actually from the uh, economist showing you that it is the virus uh, that's really taking over the world. We don't know much about what's going on in a good part of Africa because a lot of genetic sequencing is not done in most countries in Africa. South Africa is very sophisticated. And so they do have a really good understanding of what their penetration is with Omicron. Everybody else, not so much. Uh, China is um, reporting, of course, Omicron cases. They have several thousand, but they're not really saying much about data, as you probably are very familiar with. And so it is the, it is the, the variant of concern. And this is actually a, 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 a slide that I really like this particular site. It's called Next Strain. And there are scientists all over the world that upload their genetic sequences to this. So you can really see in real time what's actually going on with the virus. And for those uh, listeners that are watching this on YouTube, there's a large cluster of very turquoise dots at the very top of this next strain slide. And that's our old friend, Delta. Uh, and you could see that at one point, almost all the cases pretty much all over the world were Delta. But then once Omicron began to take hold in many places around the world, you can see that Omicron is taking over. And now instead of being a lot of Delta, we're seeing little snippets of Delta here and there, but we are seeing lots of Omicron, which gets to the fact that there are two colors there. And I wanna just show you, that's what the big chunk of, of Omicron looks like on this next strain um, website. And as you can see, almost all of it is a really dark orange, but down the lower right-hand side is this emergence of a gold little circle. And that is the variant known as B2, uh, BA2. And that's the one that you, we had talked about briefly. It's called the stealth variant, which is kind of a creepy name. Mm -hmm. uh, and essentially it's called that for really one specific reason. And that is because it eludes some PCR tests. And so because of that, in, in areas that are using certain brands of PCR equipment, they may not be able actually to identify it clearly. And that's one of the reasons it's called a stealth uh, variant. Um, so that's one thing. Secondarily, there is some discussion that it may be even more infectious than the original, which is now titled BA.1. That's the original variant. Uh, there are actually three variants of Omicron, actually two with one being the, the, the primary one. So we do know that there are now two variants of the uh, main Omicron. So there's a BA2 and a BA3. B2 
BA2 is the stealth variant. It is thought to be somewhat maybe more infectious than Omicron, which is a lot to say. And this particular variant has been found in the U.S., it's been found in India, it's been found in Europe, it's in the UK. So you can imagine that it will pretty much be everywhere. Now as to whether it's really a big threat for us beyond Omicron in general, that's, uh, we'll, um, we'll, we'll need to see how that plays out. Uh, if it's a little bit more infectious, perhaps not. If it's a lot more infectious, then that could be a bigger issue. And I do want to- a bigger issue because it's, it's not as easily detectable. Right, exactly, exactly. And so that's a problem. Uh, in general. One of the nice things about the original Omicron is that there was actually a, um, a, um, um, a PCR test that for most PCR tests, there are different light channels that light up. But when this particular uh, variant became prevalent, uh, instead of three light channels uh, lighting up, there was something called a S gene dropout and only two channels could light up. So on a PCR test, they could almost automatically tell it was Omicron because of this kind of a little nuance in the variant. But in the this one particular one, it eludes all a lot of PCR tests in general. Mm-hmm. I'll just talk about one more thing and then I don't know if you want to keep going or if you want to want to stop. But I do want to people are often saying, well, look at South Africa to determine how what your impact of Omicron is going to be in your country. Now, even though it is thought to be milder Okay, so it's affecting more of the upper airways than the lower parts of the lungs. So that is helpful. That means that it doesn't necessarily cause as severe a pneumonia. But cases in South Africa are 16 times higher than they were before the Omicron surge today. Uh, even though it's really going down, the numbers are really going down, hospitalizations are still six times higher and deaths are six times higher. So even if the disease is milder, meaning it causes less serious illness, there are so many cases just by the numbers game, you're going to have more deaths and more hospitalizations. And that's occurring worldwide. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing that, you know, that, that's happening here. I've had, I've had that conversation here. Do you want to talk about Canada or do you, should we, do you want to stop? Um, I'll give a quick update on uh, what's happening here in Canada. Then we'll take our, our first break. Okay. So Great. I pulled out the, uh, the website uh, just to <laughs> make sure I had everything the latest here because it was updated, I believe, this morning. And you have a really great website. The Ontario website in particular, I think, is fabulous for your yes. area. Yeah, there is a, a, an interesting one. I'm taking a, a look at um, cbc.ca which is a news website that links all the different uh, provinces together and consolidates everything. Mm -hmm. So taking a look at that. So in Canada in the last week, um, we've had 180,121 new cases, which is actually a decrease of 28%. Wow. Active cases, the number of active cases declined by 23%. Mm -hmm. However, and you just mentioned this too, deaths have increased Mm-hmm. Um, to um, what was it in the last week? One thousand thirty deaths, or two point seven per one hundred thousand people, an increase of seventy percent. Yeah, that's a lot for you. And hospitalizations rose fifteen percent, and mm-hmm. ICU beds filled um, rose up by fourteen percent. Wow! So um, those are big like, numbers for you for Canada. Yeah. Well, like you said, you know, the, even though some of the numbers are coming down on one side 
the, mm-hmm. the deaths, uh, you know, and the long-term part is still happening. So there's still an increase with deaths, deaths there. Um, with vaccinations, uh, percentage of people given at least one dose, we're at 84%. Mm-hmm. And fully vaccinated, which is just the two doses, I'm not talking about the uh, boosters, mm-hmm. um, uh, we're at uh, 78%. Um, and the last number I did see, if I include uh, boosters uh, for everybody that is eligible for a third dose, we're uh, around 46% already. Mm-hmm. So wow. that's gotten large. And five-year-olds plus the second dose is, uh, when you incorporate that age group, we're at 81%. So in some some spots, we are just going way up. Mm-hmm. And in others, um, it's good to see some cases and things like that coming down. So I'm I, jealous, Alex. I'm you know, jealous. <laughs> the, well, it's like I said, you know, I want to be optimistic, uh, optimistic, but we've been in the same situation three times already. Right. So, you know, uh, unless something happens in a few, uh, f- few more weeks, uh, maybe another month or two yet, then maybe I'll <laughs> start being, you know, optimistic. But right now it's, no, no, no. Been here before. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm yep. not going to get my hopes up again. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. And but I did want to mention something else too that that's happening. No, you know what? I'll save this. I'll save it for later in our talk here. Okay. We're talking with Regina Phelps, uh, the latest on Omicron and COVID and other variants that are out there. We're talking with Regina Phelps, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Not enough women are talking about how they feel about their money. Lisa Chastain is on a mission to change that. If you're feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become capable, savvy, and confident with your personal finances. Listen in and hear stories from other women about how they tackled their financial challenges. Not only will you learn from industry experts, you will hear from everyday women all of the tips, tricks, and advice you need to raise your financial IQ so that you can feel free from your daily stresses with money. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Defeat the Chaos with Corey Harris and Julie Traxler hits on topics every week that affect small business owners across this country. They provide insights that show entrepreneurs how to reduce stress, wear fewer hats, and work shorter hours. Take your business from being owner-dependent and stagnant to growth-ready and process-driven every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. 
Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We're talking with Regina Phelps today about all things COVID-related. Regina, any update um, you want to give on uh, the world overall? Yeah, so let's just really quickly talk about that. Uh, Omicron is doing quite a significant impact uh, across the world. Uh, certainly in Europe, you're seeing still some countries being locked down, even places like Austria now actually promoting and talking about having a mandated vaccine for all residents. There's a lot more restrictions that are happening. France, I think yesterday recorded the biggest number of cases they've ever had. And they're also looking at vaccine passports for almost any activity in that country. Uh, Also, Omicron is starting to take off in India, and it's also their religious season. So there's a lot of concern that maybe there could be an opportunity for it to really take off like Delta did originally last year at this same time. So there's a lot going on around the world. Um, one One of the things that we, as we mentioned earlier, is that whenever you have a lot of cases, there's going to be Uh, much more illness, much more hospitalizations, and unfortunately, more deaths. And I think the the big concern globally is what this means to healthcare workers in general. And we'll talk more about that towards the end of our talk today. But there's a lot going on globally. And I encourage all of your listeners to really follow uh, your country's information because there's a lot of changes and issues going on worldwide. But yeah, Mm -hmm. that's kind of where we are. It's, it's It's a big issue. And, and to that end, um, oops, I want to talk briefly for a moment about uh, China. Uh, of course, the, uh, the, um, the uh, Olympics are around the corner here. And so, as you know, China is continuing to have a zero COVID strategy. Um, and I think it will be fascinating to see what happens post-Olympics. The reason this is actually a big deal that everybody around the world is impacted by is because simply the incredible massive role that China has in global commerce. And so when you think of shipping and you think of manufacturing, you may say to yourself, well, I don't care if China has a zero COVID strategy. Well, if they're locking down uh, cities like Xi'an for three or four weeks and there's 15 million people there and they do a lot of manufacturing, this could impact many countries. I mean, here in the United States, and I'm sure in Canada as well, there are gigantic supply chain issues, whether it's uh, global chips or whether it's, you know, you bought a couch and you, you know, paid for it seven months ago and you still haven't gotten in. There are lots of issues related to the global supply chain. So all of us that are continuity planners and crisis managers, whatever China is doing in relationship to this zero COVID strategy has a huge impact. So it'll be curious post-Olympics as to whether they will continue that strategy or not. And so that will be something that we'll see over time. And the last thing I really want to say globally is what's called, what is the actual real death toll of the pandemic? Yes, we do have an official death toll, as you see from seeing Johns Hopkins website, for example, every day. It's now about 5.6 million people. Well, I think all of us actually know that that's not even remotely what the actual number is. There are many countries that have a zero as listed as deaths because they don't track them. Either because they don't even track regular deaths on an ongoing basis, but it's just a big vacuum. And so there's a lot of statisticians, 
and economists that try and figure out, well, what is the real death toll? So the Economist, the magazine produced out of the UK, actually has been trying to get their arms around this. And they started publishing this about 18 months ago, trying to understand what the real death toll is. So the official death toll, as I mentioned, is 5.6 million. They believe by looking at excess deaths, which means if you look at most countries and you have the average death per year, then you can extrapolate that looking at age and population and so on. They believe that the real death toll of the pandemic is probably somewhere around 19.6 million people. So literally about three and a half times larger than the official death toll. And so it's important to really understand that there is a lot that we don't really know. And when I started studying pandemics in the late 90s, I used to say to myself, well, how is it that you don't know who died from the pandemic? Uh, But it's, it's complicated. And there are also people that might have been in a car accident uh, and they were taken to the hospital and then they ended up getting COVID. So did they die of the car accident or did they die of COVID? Or maybe, uh, you know, uh, there are cases of where people actually have lots of comorbidities and COVID was the last thing. So did they die of COVID or did they die of their, their diabetes? And so there's a lot of difficulty in actually trying to assess what the real death toll is, even though it sounds kind of odd, when you start to peel it back, it's actually complicated. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, one thing I just wanted to add about the, the world is here in Canada, the province of Quebec mm-hmm. actually proposed, um, I'm not sure where this stands yet, but uh, taxing those that will not get vaccinated. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, there's a big hubbub about it, but I haven't seen any final decision yet. Because um, I think the, the talk is still going on. As of today, mm. in the province of Quebec, you need a vaccine passport to be able to shop in the big box stores. Wow. So stores that have uh, 1,500 square feet or more. Mm. So you know, we're talking the Walmarts, the Costcos, uh, yeah. up here in Canada, stores like uh, Canadian Tire. Um, you, If you don't have a vaccine passport, you can't go in there. Wow. Wow, so, yeah, we'll um, never get that here in the United States. What they're seeing, though, too, to add, the, the positive side of that is that the unvaccinated and the appointments are all going up. Uh, the unvaccinated people are starting to finally get the hint that they need to take their shots and their I, the bookings are going up. I had seen in Quebec that you can't go into a liquor store unless you have a vaccine passport. That's now, true, yeah. And, and what, the, what, they, what they were talking about when they released that information last week is that they had seen a huge uptake in vaccines the day that that was official. And I thought, ah, well, you know, it's one way to get to people. You can't get your yeah. wine or your beer or your alcohol or whatever, right? Yep. And, and in Ontario, they were actually using liquor stores to hand out um, the rapid tests at one point. So, so you know, tar- is targeting people, right? You know, in the right spots. Whatever works, baby. Whatever works. Exactly. Well, I thought it'd be you know, just good to talk about, you know, what are our, what's, what's our, uh, what's our, what's our future? You know, you and I've talked about this a zillion times, right? There's a million things that could go wrong. Uh, and some of the negative things that could really impact us would be a, a, a variant that eludes PCR testing. Gee, didn't we just talk about that with this stealth uh, Omicron variant? If, you, if it eludes PCR testing, that becomes problematic. These are all things that could happen. We could have even, even one that's more contagious than Omicron, which we thought would be amazing with Delta and look at where we are now. 
Mm. Uh, it could be something that reinfects those people who've already been infected. Well, my goodness, Omicron does that, but that could happen to us again. Something that eludes vaccines, and we're seeing that already with waning immunity, something that could be more deadly. That's the only thing we haven't had happen. And one that continues this animal crossover issue, which is actually an important thing to stop and think about here for a minute here, Alex, is that increasingly there are more and more mammals who are actually getting SARS-CoV-2. That should make you, and it makes me, frankly, anxious. You've seen that with white-tailed deer here in the United States with hunters. Uh, Hamsters, and you might have been following what's going on in China, where they're culling lots of pet hamsters because of getting SARS-CoV-2, right? Mink was a big deal in mink farms, both in Canada, but also in Europe and the United States. Uh, Lots of zoos are reporting mammals, so all the cats, the lions, pumas, there's been bears, there's been tigers, um, and that's a big issue. Domestic cats and dogs. And the one that makes me actually the most anxious, to be honest with you, is mice. There was a study since I last spoke with you that was released in December, late December, showing that maybe one of the origins of Omicron was actually mice. It was originally thought, and this is still not clear, it was originally thought it probably came from an immunosuppressed person. There's a lot of HIV in South Africa, and that very likely could have been incubating in somebody for a really long time. But there was two studies released at the end of December that said it had been found in mice. And I thought, oh my God, I mean, mice are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And if actually it was reproducing successfully in mice and then mutating and then jumping back to a human, that could be grim. Uh, it's also been found in otters. So that, this that, is that actually reminds a big me of the, was it the bubonic plague and rats? Yeah, well, yeah, fleas, right, from fleas, right. Yeah. In fact, there were cases in the bubonic plague where they would infect a, a bunch of uh, rugs and blankets and then, and then give them out to people so they'd get sick. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty awful. So there are some good things that are happening, though. And one of the two biggest ones are the two more uh, oral antivirals that have been approved here in the United States. And they've been approved in a variety of other countries as well. Uh, Molopivir, which is by Merck, and then Paxlovid, which is by Pfizer. Paxlovid is far more effective here in the United States, so it's in very, very short supply. Uh, But it's like 90 to 95 percent effective of stopping you from your disease from progressing, which means you're not going to go to the hospital and you're not going to die. Monopiravir by uh, Merck is not as effective, only 30 percent. But for some people who have a lot of comorbidities or are aged, it could be a game changer. Uh, And it's an oral medication, so uh, it can be taken easily. The thing about these antivirals and ones that will come in the future is that there are very short windows where they work. Uh, And you need to be taking these generally within three to five days of your symptoms. So that means that you need to get tested, get the results back or have a rapid test. You need to get to a physician and you need to start taking those pills within this timeframe. Otherwise, what will happen is they're not going to be as effective. So there's a lot of time constraints here, but these are going to be big, important changes because that means that very likely you could get sick, but then you have something that's going to stop it from progressing. And that's really important. And I don't know, have these been approved um, in Canada? Do you know? I don't think they've been approved. And if if they have, I think one was because I did hear something on the radio just the other day uh, 
Mm-hmm. I forgot to, I was too busy doing something else that I didn't capture the full um, explanation that was going on. Um, I think they're under review, but mm-hmm. I believe they are trying to push them uh, through ASAP mm-hmm. so that they can get these out to market because there were also reports of people saying that with this, they felt more comfortable now mm-hmm. um, doing something about you know COVID rather than just sitting at home. Uh, yeah. But getting a vaccine and then with this, they, they feel more comfortable. Right. Right. It, it would be a huge, huge game changer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and here in the United States, these will be much more widely available, especially the Paxlovid, uh, certainly in the next six months. But right now, that one in particular is in short supply. Uh, the other thing that's happening. So I saw that Canada is now requiring you to be vaccinated to fly. That is huge. I wish we did that in the United States. That's not the case. There are other EU countries that are talking about vaccine passports for flying. But and also just for getting into their country if you're not a citizen. So I think what's going to happen is between vaccine requirements and other issues related to uh, having a passport that shows your vaccine status will also begin to to become more aggressive in the beginning part of 2022 because people are trying to have some sort of normalcy in their life. And I think people generally understand the only way that's going to really happen is if you're vaccinated. So I think you're going to see, just as you were describing, vaccine requirements in Canada. You're certainly seeing much more of them in Europe. And there are certain states in in the United States that are also making much more requirements of this. And so I think this is going to really change over time. Here in the United States, so unfortunately, the Supreme Court uh, sort of knocked down Biden's a requirement for employers of over 100 employees to have a vaccine requirement. That's, but healthcare is still required. What's actually been proven in studies, this is from The Economist, is that looking at Canada and looking at Europe, it suggests very clearly that vaccine mandates work. And if you look at these uh, numbers, and again, if you're uh, watching or uh, listening to this on the radio, uh, Germany, France, Italy, and Canada are the ones that the economists actually show on this particular slide, starting from very high amounts of, uh, of minimal vaccine. And by the time the mandate started, there was just a huge uptake in vaccine. And where you can see now that literally uh, it had a gigantic impact on the actual uh, vaccine uptake. And your, your country in particular, as you can see, is the star of these four countries that are mentioned. <laughs> Doesn't always feel like that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, come down to your southern neighbor to see what it's like on the other side, my friend. <laughs> oh, and that which gets to this side, which says that who is the most vaccine hesitant country in the world? Yeah, it's your southern neighbor. Uh, And then after that, it's Britain and Sweden and Germany, Italy. And then you have some vaccine resistance and then France and Spain. And I have to tell you, I do a lot of work uh, in South America and I do a lot of work in Africa. And my clients there think, of course, that we're nuts here in the United States. And they always say to me, we know, Regina, is it you? You in the United States haven't really had to deal with infectious disease like we have in our country. And therefore, you don't really remember what it's like before there was a vaccine. And I think that that's really true is that we have become very jaded, whether it's measles or mumps or polio or whatever, we just don't seem to remember what it was like to have diseases run rampant. And between that and misinformation here in the United States, it's a huge, huge problem. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's almost as though we take it for granted. Ah, Yeah, we'll be fine. 
We'll be fine. Right. We don't don't don't, have that memory. We don't have the memory. That's right. Um, And so I want to talk just briefly. We've talked about this before, talking about whether we're getting to an endemic phase. And I had asked you before we started, are they talking about this up in Canada, right? Is this an endemic yet? And I think the thing that um, people need to understand is that there's not a line in the sand where we cross and all of a sudden we're going to be in the endemic space. Um, Mm -hmm. But it will happen over time. So I'm not sure where we are. I, I forgot to set my timer. Oh, do we need to stop? Well, why don't we take a break now? And then we'll come back uh, and we'll talk about the last couple of things we've got. We're talking once again with Regina Phelps about all things COVID. And we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Partner Up with Amy Carroll focuses on getting more of what you want and need more easily with less difficulty. While this applies to business, it can be used for just about everything, from relationships to leadership. You'll hear stories and tips to uplevel your communication and mindset, to gain confidence and inspire action by making your partner look good, conflicts dissolve, and results improve. Partner Up with Amy Carroll is heard every Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on Voice America Business. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We're talking with Regina Phelps once again, all things COVID. Regina, I think the last thing we were going to talk about now is uh, the long tail of COVID. Yeah, actually, I do want to just quickly talk for a moment about the endemic issue, just because um, just because there isn't a line in the sand. And if they're talking about this in Canada as well, the definitions really of an endemic, and this is important to understand, and it's at the bottom of the slide, is that means that the infection is at a constantly maintained baseline. So it's like just underneath the surface, it's continually happening, but it is not 
impacting healthcare systems, which of course is not the case anywhere in the world. So we are not endemic and we're going to be endemic at some point, but who knows when? It really is all about the variants. And the only way that we're going to actually get to be endemic is really all the things that we already know, vaccine, 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 but also because we are still in the winter months here in the Northern Hemisphere, we need to be still thinking about ventilation. We still need to be having masking. I mean, in my town, everybody's masked up uh, completely. Uh, we still have to be doing hand washing and we have to be really, you know, for those who have their hands on home tests, if you're not feeling well, you need to be checking yourself and testing. That's how we're going to contain this. And I know we've been saying the same darn thing for two years now, but it it's true. And that's what's going to get us to an endemic state. And so uh, I know there are pundits that are saying that we are already there. And I will say to you that that is not the case at all. Uh, and, and this was a great quote by uh, one of the, the, the uh, WHO epidemiologists who said that when things become endemic, it does not mean that it is not, uh, it, it is benign. I mean, it can still be a significant illness. And so the chances are maybe, 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 maybe by the end of 2022, we could actually get to where it's more manageable worldwide. But that's going to really depend on vaccines being administered, administered across the globe, which is another complicated problem. There are vaccines being delivered, but then they don't have the resources or the wherewithal, the syringes, the needles, the staff to get them in people's arms. So a vaccine has to become a vaccination to actually stop the pandemic. And, and lastly, I, I'd like to really talk about the long tail of COVID. You and I have talked about this before, but it is a huge issue. Uh, COVID, as you know, as just to remind everybody, is an aerosol illness. We all know that, but it affects every ACE2 receptor in the body, which is almost, frankly, every part of your internal organs. So it's all of your oral mucosa in your nose, all the way down into your lungs, but it's also your heart, your blood vessels, your kidneys, your brain, all of your nerves, your gastrointestinal system. And so this is where in particular, when people say it's just a respiratory illness, it is not that at all. It is, can affect any of these organs. I just read this morning of a, uh, a journal of gastroenterology where they were talking about an 11-year-old girl who had had COVID. And, and if she was PCR tested positive, she'd started having a lot of gastrointestinal pain every time she ate. They worked her up and worked her up and worked her up. They gave her all kinds of treatments. Nothing seemed to help. They finally did a um, colonoscopy and a, and, a um, and kind of an exploration of her colon. And they discovered that she had large pockets in her colon that were like encapsulated SARS-CoV-2. That she could not shed the infection and it was encapsulated in her intestines. It's like... Oh my God. And she had long COVID and it was all of these encapsulated um, little pockets of SARS-CoV-2. Amazing. I think the thing that I frankly am the most concerned about when I think of uh, SARS-CoV-2 or uh, the COVID pandemic is long COVID. You and I've talked about this many times. There's a lot of research being done on this. There's still a lot that is completely unknown. Uh, there's about a 10% chance of anybody who gets COVID that they'll actually have long COVID. And if you're over the age of 70, that jumps to about 22%. That's a huge deal. 
There's lots of orphaned kids. We talked about this last time, 1.6 million now globally. And in the United States, there's 130,000 people who have lost their primary caregivers. That's either both parents or grandparents who took care of them. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, one of my biggest concerns is what's happening to the healthcare system here in the United States. Uh, we don't have a unified healthcare system like you do in Canada. Uh, and we are having huge issues with just so many people quitting working. Nurses, physicians, respiratory therapists, aides, LDNs. Uh, and that's going to have an impact for us for years to come. Uh, and there's also a lot of missed global health goals that have been uh, missed around the world. Polio vaccines being administered globally, measles, mumps, rubella, many things like that that are going to have a big impact to the healthcare around the world. Uh, mental health challenges. There's so much discussion about that here in the United States. I'll be curious. Is, are you talking a lot about mental health in Canada with the long, the long oh, yes. tail of the pandemic? Yeah. Mental health and well-being is everywhere right now. Mm-hmm. Everyone is talking about it mm-hmm. and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 such a problem, uh, and and for people of all ages. But uh, what they're discovering here in the U.S. is that kids, in particular, adolescents, are really suffering uh, from either not being in school or not being able to see their colleagues and friends, and it's a huge problem. So I think the just that alone globally is going to create a really long tail where the pandemic may stop, but we're going to have these mental health challenges in many cases, for a very, very long time. Uh, Of course, disrupted economies. There's been a huge increase in drug and alcohol use. And I just read a whole piece about gambling, that there are a lot of people that can gamble online now, and the pandemic has sort of drove them into this activity. uh, And it's one of those silent addictions that uh, disrupts families and their incomes and uh, you know, that's just another example of, of people's coping mechanisms not always being the most positive. Uh, supply chain disruptions, we talked about that earlier and the impact that has on economies. And I think when, one of the things we've talked a lot about is the changed workforce, but also the transformed workplace. And here in the United States, what's happening is that a lot of people are not um, still back at work. Uh, and that really changed with the Omicron variant. And I also think that employees are now thinking much differently about what they want from an employer. Mm-hmm. They want remote work. They want more flexibility. And the younger they are, the more they're asking for that. And if they're not getting it, they're very willing to walk. And I think because of the workforce shortages we're seeing here in the U.S., at least I'd be curious about Canada, that means that people can leave one job and pretty quickly find another. And so I think the another long tail of this is be the transformation permanently of many workplaces and expectations of employees for their employer, how they're treated and what's expected. So I think that's a real shift. What's happening in that, that area in Canada? Well, it's interesting you just mentioned the employee shift. Uh, in Canada, we now have a law of... Um, uh, I forgot its exact name, but you're allowed now to disconnect and your employer cannot just reach out and start expecting you to do things in the evening anymore. That's if, wow. If your role is something along the lines, you know, or you're a first responder, that's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are no, you can no longer be reprimanded or punished by your, by an employer. If you don't respond to an email that gets sent at seven thirty at night. You know, you can wait 
you do not have to respond. And if the if you are reprimanded at all, it's now um, you can be fined. They can uh, the organization can be fined for doing that. That's um, really and I've seen that happen um, starting to happen in a few other countries. I, I think uh, Western European countries, a couple mm-hmm. of them are talking about doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's great because with people working from home, they're working longer. Right. Right. You know, and they, the four day work week now is starting to uh, pick up steam and the support for that. And I think, I think it's Norway or Sweden or Denmark, somewhere in there, they've adopted the four, four day work week. Mm-hmm. That's Seems great. to be working quite well. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and, and to have actually three days you can disconnect from your employer is great. And yeah. I love the idea, frankly, of where uh, there is some some responsibilities being placed on an employer about, uh, you know, asking people to do things beyond what the agreed upon hours are. Now, if you if you work with your manager and you change your hours to be, okay, I work from 3 to 11 every day you know, great. Well, you know, I'll, I'm happy to respond to you during my time. But other than that, I am not working. And I think that's going to be increasingly important as we continue this remote process. Yeah. And on that note, we've come to the end of the show this month, Regina. There was a little, you, you even told us a little bit of positive news in there. <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm going to take that as a good sign in itself that after 23 uh, episodes where we've just focused on Omicron that uh, we finally have a little bit of good news uh, thrown in there, you know, uh, a little bit, just a little bit, but Hallelujah. Well, is, you know, we'll see what that. happens next month, right? Yeah. Hopefully it's better. <laughs> oh, please, please. Uh, Regina, thanks very much again. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and, uh, you know, share time. Um, uh, we have great conversations off camera. You know, uh, sometimes I wish everyone <laughs> could hear those, but uh, <laughs> Oh, well. <laughs> Ditto, Alex. It's always great to be with you. Thanks again for the invitation. Oh, always my pleasure. And to everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.